In this episode of About Your Mother, you will meet Peter Mutabazi, a truly remarkable human being who survived a traumatic childhood only to use that experience to transform lives. He ran away from an abusive father at the age of 10 and was homeless on the streets for four years until a stranger asked him his name. That gesture changed his life. But that isn't Peter's story. Peter's story is so much more than that. He has used his experience to lift the lives of those who need our help most. First, in global relief efforts, and now as a foster dad to close to 20 kids so far. The story of Peter adopting one of his children went viral, and thank goodness it did. His mission is to make sure every child is known. Prepared to be in awe of Peter, his courage, empathy, and will to change the lives of the 400,000 foster children in our system. Joining me during this episode is my partner in Adoption Foster Stories, Jeff Forney, who you met in episode 10. I can't thank Jeff enough for connecting us as I had been following Peter's story for some time. Now to the episode. Welcome to About Your Mother, Where Your Story Begins. Today, I welcome two incredible people. First, my co-host in covering stories linked to adoption, Jeff Forney. And second, with profound pleasure, Peter Mutubazi. Peter, welcome to About Your Mother, Where Your Story Begins. Oh, thank you. So since this is About Your Mother, Where Your Story Begins, we love to begin with a reflection on your childhood and your mother. Can you tell us about your mother? Oh, about my mother. So I grew up poor, you know, and I grew up in a culture where in most cases, you know, women are seen as second class citizen, you know. For me, my mom is the only person that I had that was there for me in good days and bad days. But also it was really difficult in some way to see that the way she was treated, you know, by my dad, you know, that the abuse she endured, but yet the love that she had for her kids that she, you know, that she took it all for us. But at the same time, knowing and watching really how my dad treated her uh, was difficult. But at the same time, that I'm really, really, really appreciative for loving us through those conditions that she never left. She was there to love us no matter what. And, and that's what has made me who I am for her kindness, for her resilience, but also for truly saying you know, what seemed impossible can be possible. Oh, wow. Beautiful. And you endured a lot in your childhood, but you have this empathy to you. A lot of that seems rooted in, in your mother and the way that she raised you. Absolutely. You know, so I grew up poor, you know, poor of the poorest that actually I didn't have a name until when I was two years old. And the reason why I didn't have a name, because every 100 children were born, about 60 would die before the age of two. So for my mom, you know, I think she had lost two. So she was worried that I would not make it. So she didn't call me. She didn't give me a name until when I was two. And the reason was because she was afraid to be attached to a kid she knew she would lose in in a few months or a few years. So later. Later, you know, when I made it, she called me a gift given to me by God. So literally, that's my last name. That she, she was willing and she was loving, and she, no matter how many she lost, that she still had hope to really be there and 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 give me that kind of a name that reflects my, you know, that empathy. The Peter, you. There was a chance you could not make it, but somehow you made it. It wasn't by my own making, but by by somehow, you know, my creator that given me a son and, 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 and I want to honor him uh, that way. So for me, that empathy 
of my mom willing to go whatever whatever she went through or knowing that I would not make it, but somehow still also, you know, <laughs> loving on us, you know, has really kind of some way taught me what life uh, should be. But also, you know, as I said, we had a, the most abusive dad you could think of. So how is she, how he treated us, how he abused us is the same way that he did it to my mom. But to see my mom in the midst of that, that she really became a mom. She taught us values and principles in some way on how to, to care and also not hold on the abuse that our father was uh, dealing or affecting on us. In some way, she said, look, wrong people and bad behaviors will always come, but you have a right and you have an opportunity to not always act the same way. That somehow it gave me empathy for that, that yes, I don't like my dad in some way, but somehow gave me the opportunity to not repeat who my dad was or to think that was okay to treat especially a female the way my dad viewed them. That in some way, my mom has given me the best values and the best principles in life on how to have empathy, uh, especially uh, towards a person like her. Wow. Amazing. In my research, I didn't catch this. Is your mom still with us? And do you still get to see her? Yes, I get, you know, I get to see her. Uh, I'm the oldest of five. So I made sure that, you know, my siblings are doing really well. And she kept being the best mom she can be. You know, she's still alive and still uh, doing well and, and impacting wisdom uh, every day. And she's the best mom. Yeah, I miss her, you know, when I ran away for those five, six years that I never saw her. But somehow uh, she still was there to guide me through the principles and values she'd really impacted me uh, in my life. So yes, she's still alive, uh, weak, but still good. So you did, you had this traumatic home with this pillar of strength in your mother and you flee and you're homeless at 10 years old. Tell us how you got out of that because I'm so touched by the kindness of the people who helped you and guided you to boarding school. Can you take us through that journey? Yes, absolutely. So at age of four, I began to realize that not only we're poor, you know, we couldn't afford a meal. You know, I grew up in a home where my mom, it's not like she could not tell us to hope, but it's hard when you cannot feed a child for a day to tell them they have a future. So in some way, she really helped us how to live day by day. Uh, At age of four, I also began to realize that my daddy was the most abusive man. So for me, hope wasn't there in any shape form. But at the age of 10, I could not take, uh, I could not let my dad take my own life. So I ran away and became a street kid. I'd never been 20 miles away from my village and I went 500 miles away and I ended up in Kampala and I had only one option. And that one option was to be a street kid. So I became a street kid because I had no, no other way to survive. But also it was better to be abused by strangers than be abused by one person who should be my protector. So for me, you know, yes, the street life was miserable in every shape, but somehow there was safety to eat that my own father wasn't affecting or uh, really uh, abusing me in that sense. So I became a street kid who lived on the streets by stealing and, and living under the bridges. I had been there for about four years. And and uh, for those four years, no one had ever asked me what my name was. You know, I was always treated though like I was a stray animal, like I I didn't, like I wasn't a human being in some way. But this stranger, for the first time, he stopped and asked me, hey, what's your name? By him asking me my name for those four years, it was really, it made me stop and think through like, wait, 
I have a name. Wait, someone wants to know my name. And in that way, uh, I got to tell him my name. And before I could steal from, from him food, he gave me something to eat. And he got to know me. And so he fed me for a year and a half. Uh, you know, every time he came to the city, he would always feed me. Of course, people like us who come from a difficult place, it's not easy to trust. So by him providing me one meal once or twice a month, really brought that little glimpse of trust and hope to a stranger who uh, didn't know where I came from, but somehow was intrigued to know who I was. And so finally, he offered me an opportunity to go to school. And, you know, and I went. It's not like I really wanted to be somebody, but for the very first time, I had been seen as a human being. I had been seen as someone who had a potential. The rest of the world saw me. I was, you know, I would never amount to anything. I was garbage. I was useless. But for him at my lowest, that he saw the potential in me, that he didn't see the dirty thief boy, but he saw a little boy that had an uh, opportunity to be someone. And he said, I will offer that. I will be there for, for him. And that's what changed for me. It wasn't the school I was going to, but for the first time, uh, that someone saw me as a human being. Uh, and that's how it changed my life. Oh, it's so beautiful. Thank you for sharing. It's tremendous. It's, I have chills and tears. Like you. Wow. Just so powerful. And that you've used that experience and and, and shared it not only with other children, but the world, and that you're teaching all of us about these moments that children need, right down to just the affirmations and also just hearing their name called and saying that they have value, um, mm-hmm. right? It's mm-hmm. every child is valuable. Yeah. Right. And, you know, every child. And that's what they did for me. You know, yeah. that when he took me in, he really began using words of affirmation that I mattered, that I belonged, that I was seen, that I was, you know, that I was not alone. That You know, that there's one word he said one day. He said, Peter, you are a gift. You know, like I, I didn't. I didn't believe in that. I, I never saw myself as a gift to anyone, you know? So for him to say, you give to our family, I think he, he really shared a few of less of how I looked on myself that gave me the the glimpse of, you know, I, I am a gift. I wasn't a gift to anyone, but in some way began to believe so. You know, so as soon as I became a foster dad, and the reason why I became a foster dad was too. He done so much for me that he given me the opportunity to have a family and to go to school and, and, and travel over the world. That when I came to the United States, that I really wanted to give back. That they said, to whom much is given, much is required. That I had been given so much that I wanted to give back as well. And that's how I became a, a foster dad. But also, I understood where our foster kids came from. The hardship the difficulties, the abuse they have endured, that I, the empathy you talked about, that I really understood it really well, that I was once that kid who didn't have absolutely a place to belong, who didn't feel I was chosen, who didn't feel I was enough. That was for me easy to relate with them and be there with them, that even when things went tough to say, I know, I understand. Uh, and that was my, my calling. And, and it's been a joy to truly be a dad and be a dad to kids from hard places to say, you got a potential like anyone else. You have it. And I'm here to walk with you. Beautiful. It's amazing. Incredible story. Peter, really it is. With all those hardships, what do you feel, what has been the the thing that has helped the most in being a foster dad that really stick out 
So for me, he helped me understand that my past was a foundation for me to do better in life. So he helped me see my, not like I wish for anyone to go through what I went through, but neither to change what my past was. It was already written, but he helped me to look at it as a positive, to look at it and use it in a positive way to better myself. That, that, you know, seeing, yes, I didn't have a dad, but now I had someone who came into my life. Yes, I didn't have a future, but someone helped me have the future that I didn't see I have potential, but someone showed me. So in some way to truly embrace my past rather rather than see it more of an issue that I have to deal with every day. But embrace it. That's, I think, yeah. something that I, I think I've really loved through my, my, my adult life to embrace where I came from and then see how I can use it as a platform to do better for others. For all my life, I've been an advocate for the most vulnerable. Why? Because I understood. I, I, you know, I love what Jennifer said. She said, your empathy, where did, you, where did it come from? How did you really in tune with your life? Because by looking back, by embracing where I come from, has given me that glimpse of empathy to others that, you know, meeting strangers will be easy for me because a stranger was there for me. Uh, Meeting kids who are coming from a hard place rather than see the negative or see the hardship they have, but rather see the end of it from, from my own perspective that I was able to go through, that I was able to get to the other end, that what I see when my kids can't sometimes can't see or struggle with with you know with the trauma that I can able to say one foot at a time we will get there and have that faith and have that zeal to keep and be consistent with them because my own life is a reflection of who they can be uh, in future so beautiful you know it's um I went, I can't wait for my mom to listen to this because when she was in the orphanage, there's one thing that she used to say to me is that she focused on putting one foot in front of the other, literally. It was just getting through the day, just learning to walk through the life that she had found herself in. We often talk about this on the show that trauma unaddressed is trauma transferred and that a lot of people, they don't use it as a tool. And here you are taking the trauma that you experienced and using it as a tool and creating this incredible platform. Did you always know you wanted to do this? What Was there a specific moment where you're like, okay, now it's time to invite foster children into my life? I, I've always wanted to do that. You know, I think for me, you know, it's amazing what, what, what example others said in our lives, you know? So for me, that man, he like, literally I had no future at all. Had he not really invited me in his life and somehow believed in me, even when I didn't see potential myself. So I think once I began to believe in those, I began to also know, wait a minute, I can do that. And I think being the oldest of five, it was easy for me to go back and tell my siblings, like, you know what? Life is tough. You still live under, you know, the roof of my dad, but just know there's future and hope for you. So for me, I think my siblings were aware to say, wait a minute, he's an example of where I've come from. He's an example of where I can be an example for them. And all my siblings, they, they have all gone through university. They've all done well, not because they're smart, but because I was an example for them, you know, that they saw if Peter can do it, we can do it. But also I stood in that gap as well saying, I can't do it. So I'm here for you to do it as well. That I think in some way that I knew then I had a really opportunity to change other kids' lives. And I think from then, I I think I was devoted to say for the rest of my life, I will truly be an advocate 
for the most vulnerable. But I'll be an advocate for especially children who feel hopeless or feel unhappy because I knew I had that in me in some way. You are a hero. How do you best deal with the traumas and fears that your foster children or your adopted son? How how do you best guide and deal with for them? Right. So, you know, once you become a foster parent, you always know 99.999 of the kids will always come with trauma. So for me, so you go in knowing, hey, my children are going to are going to have issues. And I think the difficulty some people or some parents have is when those traumas pop up or show up, they're like, well, the kids are not listening or they have bad behaviors. But rather for me, I never focus on the trauma, but I focus on the origin. Where is it coming from? What are areas in their lives that we need to help them heal in order to deal with their trauma? Uh, think of uh, think of your friends. We, 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 we tend to have friends, but we tend to em- embrace them with all the faulties they have. And when we don't, we lose them because we we fail to accept as who they are. And I think for me, it was my own example that this this stranger, I, remember, I was a thief. I was dirty. I was helpless. I was just a nobody. But he didn't see that. He saw a little kid with potential. And I think that's what he was drawn. And that's what helped me in some way to see the best potential he had for me that I didn't even see. So the same with our kids. When we don't focus on the behaviors, but focus on how we can help them deal with what is causing the, the behavior. So, for example, I'll say uh, most of kids, sometimes they, they would do things to please you because where they're coming from, they never did enough to earn anything, you know? they never. So how do you really help them deal with that? To some, they come from neglect. There was never food at all. So when we cook food, they want to eat as much as they can. Uh, because they know, hey, there's no food tomorrow. You know, they'll go in the in the fridge and open it and check if there's food because where they're coming from, remember the root cause is mom or dad were never there to feed them. So they struggled with food. So now when they steal food or are struggling on how to deal with it, the issue isn't that they are stealing food. The issue is how did it that whole start for them? So then as a dad, I'll try to find a way, how do I make sure that they know food is always there for them? Like they're not going to run out, but I'm here to provide for them in some way to deal with the inside cause rather than the outcome of what they are doing is what has helped me deal with, with trauma, you know? Sometimes they'll curse me, trust me, because they're angry. Anyone who misses their parents, anyone who's been taken away from their mom will be angry at that. So when I feel that coming my way, do I take it personal? Sometimes, yes. But I think I've learned to say, I want this child to be heard and to be seen. So I'm willing to let them vent no matter what language they use, so they can be heard. So rather than hold that against them, but rather give them an opportunity for them to voice that out, to share their feeling. And then we can deal with that after, say, like, maybe next time I would like to listen. And I'm glad that you you, you shared with me what you felt. But I'm in some way, I'm giving them an opportunity to be heard sometimes where they feel they're not heard. Really great, like not to take it personally when these kids... Yes go through this and uh, sometimes it's tough as a parent myself sometimes i do take those challenges personally now do you ever find yourself overwhelmed and where do you go to when you go oh my gosh you know because you've got such a great take on all of this but sometimes even with all this kind of work you've done yourself there can be a moment where you're like 
I need uh, a lifeline, phone a friend. What happens when you get overwhelmed? Uh, what do you do for yourself? Right. As a single dad, that's an everyday, you know, <laughs> an everyday issue. But also you're dealing with kids who sometimes need more care than than the other kids because they are dealing with trauma. So that can be overwhelming. Right now I have two teenagers. So think about it. I have a 14 and 17 and a five and six year old, you know. <laughs> so four kids who have different needs with come with different traumas. Think about how that can be overwhelming. But I think for me, what helps me is... One, knowing that this is my call, like, um, you know, this is my call. This is really what I, I know how to do well. So that really helps me to, yes, over be overwhelmed, but somehow remind myself, like, I'm good at that. The other part is the lifeline, other foster parents, the friends that you have that when you need help, you know, and, and before I became a foster parent, I, I somehow put those people before me, say, hey, I'm going to be overwhelmed. Would you pick up my phone when I call you at midnight? You know, <laughs> or, you know, I have friends who are, are therapists to say, look, I know this way you do well. So when I call, just be ready, be ready to help me out. So on the other side, as a male, to be willing to be vulnerable, I think that has really helped me in some way. Because as men, I think we have a tendency of, I can do it all. I got it, you know, but I think to be willing to be vulnerable to say, I am really struggling here. Any way you could help me. So I have friends that I go to and say, today is a challenge. Or sometimes I don't want to talk to my child and say, could you talk to my child on your behalf? Or sometimes they will take my kids for a weekend so I can have time to breathe, time to, to have a me time, you know? Uh, those are things that I think I've really done to help me. I run and and, and bike. So to have moments when they go to school and I have my my one hour to go for a run, but in some way recharging my own battery to be able to be there for them when they get home. The key, I think, being vulnerable and asking for help when I when I need it. But that's part of Jeff's take too, is that for men to be more vulnerable, which is why I'm so excited to have both of you on here, because this isn't just a, this isn't just a female oriented podcast because it has a mother in it. We all need to express ourselves and our vulnerability. And you're absolutely right, Peter. Men aren't always asked to do that. Right. Absolutely. You know, and, and the other part is, I think for me, I go against the tradition rules. You know, we have this tendency where we are brought up, you know, especially some of us who've gone from Christian farmers where we we've kind of said, well, those are moms. Moms are good at that. Mom would do that. But for me to say, no, 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 no. Dads are good at that as well. They have given you a slack to not do it. But I think we have a right to be vulnerable, a right to be tender, a right to be, you know, I've had 16 kids. I have never had one come and say, I wish we had a mom. No, you know why? Because I've learned to be all just as moms are when they need that tender to come in as a mom and say, it's okay. What, what can I do with your hair? When it comes to, you know, when they are vulnerable and need that to, to always be there, but rather than looking for what gender role do I have to play? But for me, what a parent role do I have to play in both worlds? And that's why I value single moms. Single moms are able to, to play all the roles, you know, and I think dads, we we ought to do the same. We ought to be on the other side and say, I can play all roles 
mom and dad and it's okay you know there's no defined there's no definition of what should do what but all of us and i think for me coming from a culture where women are seen as class citizen second class citizen but i i'm so against that you know i am so against the men do this and women do this i'm like when it comes to family my kids need me in every shape form you know that i will be there but that takes willingness and vulnerability as well to say yep that's my role and i'm gonna play it in every shape form uh, as i can this just makes me smile as you can tell i just love it it's such an important message and we just need so much more of this so much more of it yeah let's break down the gender roles what is the average time that you have with these children so for me i've had from four weeks to 12 months you know and i also have a for me i have said i'll be a false parent because that's my job that truly these kids have mom and dads who love them that my job is to be there while they they take care of themselves but when they need a dad forever that i'm willing to be a dad so it depends you know so the longest i've had uh, that i've gone home is 13 months uh so what was the first thing? How did you come to adopt Anthony and what changed for you where you said, you know what, I think this is one I'd like to take on more permanently? Right. <laughs> so I had two siblings and had had them for for about eight uh, eight months and so they had left on monday and as you know for false parents the one thing they never taught me or they never trained me was how to say goodbye it leaves you empty it leaves you in the worst state you could think of you know because we we love these kids we care for them not just for the day but for every minute of our lives and somehow to say goodbye it is really hard, you know, and so I was angry and I needed a break. So they left on Monday and I told the social worker like, hey, I need three months to recover from this, you know, <laughs> you know, and guess what? On Friday, on Friday, he called, you know, she calls him like, hey, Peter, I know you said you need a break, but there's a kid who needs a weekend. And I said, nope, I am not doing it, you know, and then she said he's at the hospital. And he, that's where he's been left. So he needs a place to sleep. He said, can you please keep him for a weekend? So I said, sure. So I took him for the weekend. When he came in, you know, 20 minutes in, in, he said, I said, you can call me Mr. Peter. And he said, but can I call you my dad? And I was like, oh, no, don't start now. You know, I had two who called me dad every day and they just left. Don't start that. So I said, no, that's not appropriate. You know, so I said, no, 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 don't, don't. Well, they came to pick him up on Monday. When they came to pick him on Monday, that's when I asked, why was he in the false care? Of course, they're like, well, he was in the false care at one year and a half, and then he was adopted at four. And the family that adopted him just left him at the hospital, and they never said goodbye. And I think for me, that story took me to when I was 10 years old, that I had run away from home. I had nowhere to go. And this little boy has no place to be. And how do I say just go. So I asked the social worker, well, so where is he going? They said, well, we're looking for a group home where he can go. And I was like, look, he's already called me dad. I think he knew I'll be his dad. I said, he's okay. He can stay. He'll be, he'll be my son forever. <laughs> because that day I knew they had already signed the parental rights. So he was ready to be adopted. I was like, okay, I guess I'm a dad. And that's what I had been looking for, for all my life. I think I wanted to be a dad and there he was but because i was already sulking and angry and 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 and, and in pain for those that I had lost that there there was a kid who somehow was meant to be my my son and 
and and I didn't want to lose that. And so that's how I became his dad, <laughs> you know, but he chose me before I knew it or before uh, I was ready. And from there, we've been together and he's he's my son now. Oh, he is. And the smile on your face when it's a made official, it just oh, warms my heart in your smile now, of course. But when you officially become his father, it's just such a beautiful, poignant moment. And I feel like you're, you've learned so much from Anthony. So what are some of the lessons that you've learned? Oh, <laughs> you know, here's one thing I've learned. You know, in the first care, sometimes we think we are doing a favor by helping the kids. But for me, I feel like they've done more for me than I have done for them. You know, that I thought I was the most loving. Then I figured I found out like, wait, hmm, I am not. You know, I thought I was patient. I was like, wait a minute, <laughs> I'm not patient. I thought I was, you know, consistent. I was like, hmm, maybe that's not, that's not right. So in some way, I think he's really taught me the best things in life and made me a better human being than I was or than he found me. You know, he's patient, like he's willing to wait for dad, whatever I'm going through, uh, and still come around. That he's really helped me to navigate that, you know. He's helped me to look in my own past. Like sometimes I think as as any parent, you know, we think we passed on things in life and then we figure, we find out that our kids push that button and you're like, dang, I thought I had dealt with this, you know, and there they are and really helped me really deal with my own past, you know. He's a loving kid, you know, he really loves others and in some way has impacted me to even love others more, you know. Forgiveness, you know, he 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 doesn't really talk much or have ill feelings towards the parents that I had him before that really has helped me also to learn how to embrace that. You know, I was angry, really angry at them, but rather to also have the same attitude, you know, that that's a choice, that's something they they did. That's not my part to judge, but rather to love him as he wants to be loved. So he's taught me so much, but surely made me a better human being uh, than he found me. Uh, and I'm grateful for him. We are too. Yeah. Tell us about your your future in terms of fostering. You're going to continue to foster. You have two more kids with you now. Tell us about your future plans now that you've got this platform and you're viral too. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I just quit my job so I can be a full-time dad. You know, it's, yeah. it's what I really would like to, to be, you know, taking more kids, but at the same time, be an advocate. I need all the support you can, you know, being a, a full-time dad with no job is, is not quite easy, but also I knew it's the best way that I can be a dad, you know, so I'm, I'm, I'm really excited. So I have a 17 year old, so we're going through adoption. So we're really excited. You know, he came in, he's been with us for, for four months. And finally, he, he, he put me aside. He said, you know, Peter, is there a way you could be my dad? And I was like, oh, Lord, you know. So I think we are looking forward to that. And then I have two that are, are, are little. You know, I would like to adapt them as well. But as you know, the false care system, you, you go as things go, you know. Yes, I would love them, their parents to have them back. But if that's not... Uh, what God intends to, I, I would really want to be their their dad. So that's my my dream, and that's my goal uh, to truly be there for more kids and advocate for more kids and and have a a house full of of little ones uh, for sure. That's amazing. Is there a limit on how many kids you're willing to? <laughs> So I would love to have six, but I think by the state rules, I, since I'm a single dad and I only have 
a house that can have only four kids. So most time it's by the house you have. So if I have a, a house that can hold five, I think they would give me five. Um, so I think for now, it's how many I can have in the in the living space that I have. So for now, I can only have four. Do you feel that your, your situation growing up, there's a little more weight to it when you speak and talk and help your when they look and see where you've come from, do you feel that that helps in them understanding when you're conveying some, some guidance to them as well? Yeah. So for the old ones that I understand, so I have a, a little video, 18 minutes, that really tells about my life. So I want them to know who I am as soon as possible, you know, because when it, you know, I want to, and, and I want to paint that picture of, I was a wanted thief. I was uh, rebellious. I mean, name it all. I have done it, you know, that when, when they feel that comes in their own life to say, well, he understands, you know, um, uh, that's kind of why I, I, I let them know like, Hey, I wasn't pretty when it comes to lying trust me it was my way of life you know when it comes to manipulating and getting things like i know it too well so before you go just know you know and and that gives them an assurance of not like i'm judging them but identify with what they are feeling to be able to say mm, i was once that guy trust me you know so you keep doing that it's not gonna take us take you anywhere because i chose not to do that and that's why i'm here today you know so it helps me be a parent but also mirror them in some way to say i was once you just just know to know that mm. uh, and i think that gives them a, a little bit more also room to feel that they can be vulnerable with me because you know i am vulnerable with them as well you know i know as an adoptee growing up there was that idea that man i you know i'm lucky to have this home and i tried to do real good in school and i excelled in sport you know in the back of your mind you don't want to be returned or you don't want your adoptive parents to have buyer's remorse and say wow we this is not what i signed up for so you know i think you you allow your children and those that you foster to be to have a little more leeway and to understand yes we do we can make mistakes but that's not going to change the love i have for you the support i'm going to give you guidance i'm going to provide for you and we are all human. I was there myself, but I'm going to do my best and uh, love on you as good as I can and guide you to the next spot. I think that's amazing. Right. And, and, and the other part, too, having someone who believes in you, no matter what, you know, remember these kids, their parents are not there and they have been moving from one home to the other. I mean, from one place to the other and most time not treated the best. So when you have someone who say, I, it's OK, it's OK. It's, it's, it's okay. Sometimes it's all they need. They're not looking to change their situation, but sometimes to say, it's okay. You know, I'm here. And it's okay. You know, I had a kid who would cry literally for four hours and I would sit there for four hours crying. You know, he'll be crying and crying. I'll sit there and listen, you know. And then at the end of it, he will say, dad, can you hold me? And I'm like, you could have said that in the 30 minutes you started crying, you know. But I knew that he needed to. That was how he 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 dealt with what was going in in his mind and his, you know, and then with time he would, you know, instead of four, it became to three. And then we ended up to 20, you know, but all he wanted was someone to be there, you know, and, and every time he went in that I stayed and then he would say, can you hold me? And it's, it's amazing the 
the trauma they go through and how we learn to really help them through navigate that. They miss their parents and sometimes the little ones don't have the language to tell you so, you know, but they have a language to act out, you know, and sometimes to read between those and say, are they acting up or they miss somebody or something going on that I need to address or listen to. Uh, that for me has been really helpful in really not focusing on behaviors, but really focusing on who they are uh, as people uh, as well. You are an empath. So you're taking this all in and carrying these children with you. I'm sure beyond when they're out of your home. How do you cope? What do you do for yourself? Well, you know, one thing I remember I said, like, I, you try not to judge the parents. You try to really be there. So for me, for every kid I have, as long as there's, there's a, we have an opportunity to call or visit with a co-parent with their biological parents, you know, because I know they're going back. So in some way, bringing the mom or the dad in the picture really helps me on how I can bridge that gap. Knowing that when they go back home, I will always be in touch. When you when when you don't judge the parents and somehow say, look, I want you to have your kids back and I will do whatever it takes to make sure that they're okay, but also that you're included in their lives, it gives you almost a right in some way to stay, you know, because the parents want that. And some Sometimes we as false parents, we are good at judging them and, and seeing them as the most horrible. But rather for me, I like to parent with them. So that gives me a continuity for the kids because I know I'll see them. But also the, a little thing we've learned that mom can do as well. Uh, that really has helped me somehow uh, not decompose, but no, it's not just for a moment, but it's going to continue since I am in touch with the parents, you know. Um, and then the other part to cope up to really focus on where they're gonna go rather than how the moments I have them I think that helps me when I see their future ahead that helps me to really in some way go alongside those future events that I would like them to to be you know and, and make it fun make it you know for me I think being a loose parent sometimes has been really the most rewarding way that I let go I let go of those that I'm fearful those I'm scared of just be, you know, be funny. Uh, that has helped me to to let, let, let go and enjoy a few things that I love to do. As I said, I love running. I love reading, you know. So to do those often, but also include my kids. My kids don't run, but they bike. So I'll run and they will bike. But for them, they're spending time with dad. While for me, I'm like, well, I just needed time to think and run through. Uh, so I found ways on incorporating kids with what I love to do. As a single parent, I don't have someone to say, stay with the kids, I go run. They have to come alongside, you know. So I find ways on how we can incorporate each other. But at the same time, me as a dad have my me time uh, as well. Well, I'm glad you have running. That's my that's my sanity as well. <laughs> Anytime I'm in a bad spot, I'm like, if I go for a run, it's going to solve the problem. And I love this quote. I'm always willing to try anything as long as it won't kill me. I love that attitude, Peter. But the beautiful thing that you said is, as an empath, you're taking on these challenging situations, of course, and there's and there's beauty in that. But that you're always looking on the path forward. That is something that you learned at a young age, and it's just so powerful. And it seems like it is the thing that has inspired you with Now I Am Known. Can you tell us a little bit more about Now I Am Known and the lessons of affirmations and this growth mindset that you have and where you're going to take this? Because it's got legs. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> yes, he got legs, you know. So, you know, you know, when the when the, this man picked me off, he, he took me in. You know, I didn't really value myself. So he began using words of affirmation like, Peter, you matter, you belong, you're chosen, you're hired. And they really impacted my life and made me stop think, really? You think I'm a gift? You think I'm, you know, that really changed my life. And so I decided that if I ever become a parent, I'm going to use words of affirmation to truly encourage my kids as well. Well, I didn't have any had biological, but as soon as I became a foster parent, I really began using those words of affirmation because I knew my kids coming from a hard place that they needed to know that they belong, that they matter, that they are not alone, that they are seen and heard. So I, I wrote them on a uh, on a fridge, on my ceiling wheel, and also uh, in my closet because I wanted to always remember to say those things. You know, it's easy to feed a child and give them a home, but I think sometimes the more we tell them those, the more they begin to believe in themselves. Then we got a dog. Sometimes when they're angry and they don't want to talk to me, they go to their bedrooms, but they always take the dog with them. So I thought, hmm, I can write these 12 words of affirmation on our dog, on a bandana. And every time they are, they are in the bedroom or they're angry, they can still read them and they can still see them. So it was a way for me to truly always encourage them even in the times when they are not listening to me. So then I figured out like, wait a minute, I can also use these resources to give to other forced parents or biological parents, but also I wanted to really give it to other kids as well. And so we created a literally a duplicate of our dog Simba and he wears a bandana and this bandana has the 12 words of affirmation. And so we sell one. Yes, I see you have one. So we sell one. When we sell one, we give one to, to the other kids. So they come in a pair. Uh, I don't know if you look behind, uh, behind the, the the plush you have on 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 the on the on the on the bandana there's a number so your number is special because another kid got that number as well so we give one plushie to a kid and then one you take it or you can give both to to the kid but a way to tell them you are known you matter you are special to us as a tool to encourage them and so created and now i'm known in some way to give you know not just kids but we know there are women who are going through you know domestic abuse to tell them like look you are not alone you are part of us you are chosen to give them a platform to truly be known and that's how we came about but also i get to use it you know so i can be a full-time dad to inspire others and encourage others you know as we sell more it helps me to be a dad but also we help other kids to have those words of affirmation we also partner with hospitals i work with starlight children for foundation you know so for you know in, in their hospital for ill you know sick kids that every time they come to the hospital they get to have one of our our so for everyone we buy it goes to kids in the foster care or kids at the hospital so they can know that we think of them every day that they are special to mm-hmm. us so beautiful so so beautiful absolutely Peter, how does it feel to be kind of flipping the traditional narrative of um, an adoption where it's a white family taking in a child, uh, you know, that is non-white and kind of flipping it and you uh, with such advocacy and and just tenderness and mindfulness, so amazing. How does it feel, that portion of it all? 
Yeah, you know, so one, you know, once you once you go in the city, you get to understand that when it comes to abuse, it faces every rest. You know, uh, the, the 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 sexual abuse, the the verbal abuse, the physical abuse, it, it it goes to every child. So I understood that, and I was willing that for every child that is in that position, they bring to me, I'll love on them. It didn't it didn't matter what they looked like, you know. So for the last sixteen kids I've had, I think. 13 of them are Caucasian, you know, uh, one Native American and, and the other African American, you know, that when they come in the system, they are looking for, for who can help them at that moment. That I understood that every child needs us, that every child needs, um, you know, our help uh, and they're in danger, they are vulnerable. And when it comes to that, that the abuse does not know a color, gender, or race at all, that I really wanted to be there for every child. And of course, you know, most of my kids have been white, you know. Of course, we've had issues where, you know, I've been called on police five times, you know. I get people who doubt if I can be a father. I get people who get to question, why am I a dad to my kids? I get people who are just angry for the sake of being angry. That you learn, that you learn to, remember I told you that when I love my kids, I get to focus on who they are rather than uh, the baggage they come with that I embrace them as who they are. The same with the world, that I think we have to approach it that way, that there are people who, who are not going to like me as a black dad to white kid, you know, white kid. There are others who are going to question me if I'm good enough. But at the same time, to really be focused on that calling. For me, that's a calling I have that nobody can take away, that I'll be a dad to whoever God brings in my life for sure, that I'm willing to be there for, for every child, no matter what race, gender that they come from, that that is my calling. And to let, you know, the the, the evils or uh, the mindset of another human being really take that away from my kids or take that passion from me. But I choose to, to, not, not, to neg- not to look on the other side, but to know it's it's part of what's gonna come with me being being a dad. When these policemen stop me, usually I'm not angry at them. I'm angry to the one who called them, you know, because for them, they're doing their job. They had to call, they had to respond in some way. So to really approach with kindness, with empathy, but also understanding, you know, that I cannot control what someone thinks of me, but I can control what I think of others, you know, that that's really what has helped me to be an advocate and to love all kids, you know, and, and, and on the other side too, you know, to be honest, I think we've had, we've seen in the media, the narrative is Angelina Jolie or Madonna. They, they're the ones who get to do that. And I'm trying to say, no, even us can do that, can be the example of what those celebrities, you know, <laughs> do, but we can change the narrative that they don't have to be the only focal point of adapting and helping kids, but even regular Joes like me, can change the narrative on how we approach kids, but also how we approach race as well. But I can be a dad to all, you know? My kids, four of them are as white as you can go, you know? But to them, I'm a dad, you know? I'm not a black dad, I'm just a dad that loves them in every shape form. And that's what we want everyone to know, that truly that's what our kids are looking for, looking for someone to love them. And it doesn't matter what color you are, but you're willing to step in when they need that. And that's my job. And it, it's worked really well. And, and I feel sorry for those who doubt me or who question me, you know, that, man, you're missing out on something, you know, uh, that for me, it's been really a truly loving an opportunity uh, to spread love beyond, uh, beyond our race. Yeah. 
you referred to yourself as a regular Joe, but you're more like Superman. Listen to this story. Exactly. (laughs) Peter, you are such an incredible human being. And I'm so grateful that people are getting to know you and your story and your work, because I think we can all learn from you and just the way that you look at life and love and, and children. It's really, really incredible. Well, thank you. And on behalf of the kids, especially in the force care, we really love what you're doing, highlighting the moms. You know, I think we, we give so little credit to moms, but for what they do, for what they stand for, you know, and I think for me, I'm calling on especially my, my African-American men to say, Moms, yes, have a, an amazing role to play, but so are dads, you know. Yes. But our, our kids are not looking for the fancy shoes, the fancy who knows what, but they're looking for a dad who will say, today's rough, but it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Uh, that If I can change a life of one man to say, let's take the role of truly being there for our little ones, that will matter. So for you, Jeff, too, you know, and Jennifer, we, we really appreciate for giving us the platform to tell our stories. Mm-hmm. You're hearing my story, but in some way, you're really standing in for the 400,000 kids in the force care that are looking for a place to belong. Yeah, yes, absolutely. And let's spread the word and do all we can. And right. you are an inspiration, Peter. So grateful for your time today. So, so grateful. Thank you. Oh, great, Peter. Thank you. Chills. Peter just gives me chills because he mirrors everything we need in this world, empathy and compassion, especially towards children. What happens when someone asks your name? It validates who you are. In the darkest of circumstances, there is always light to be found. That was a lesson Peter's mother taught him. The impossible is possible. And as we near Mother's Day, let us all remember that there are children who need us. We can all play the role of mother that Peter so aptly says is something universally within us, men and women. Let's all cradle the children who at times are forgotten. Let's let them be known. Information on Peter's work, how to buy a plushie and his ever-changing family is available on his website, nowiamknown.com and mine, bygennifergriffith.com. Until next time, stay curious and be well.